Technology continues to change and shape the way we interact with the world, ourselves, and one another. With the fast pace of tech, it can be challenging to understand its full effects on society. In Cut the Code podcast, join me in exploring topics and ideas centered around technology and humanity, discussing their cultural and ethical implications, and questioning some of tech's greatest unknowns. Welcome to the very first episode of Cut the Code podcast. I'm your host, Nikita. The topic of today's episode is pretty relevant to the national conversation that's been going on regarding racial inequality and injustice. We've seen and heard movements, companies put out statements, and leaders calling for change both at societal and institutional levels. And while there's been pushes for new policies within law enforcement and the criminal justice system, there's one area needing change that's not as often talked about algorithmic bias. Okay, so if you go to Wikipedia and you look up algorithmic bias, you'll see that it's the systematic and repeatable errors in a computer system that create unfair outcomes, such as privileging one arbitrary group of users over another. And so that last part is what makes algorithmic bias problematic. It's pretty similar to the bias that you see happening face-to-face in real-life situations, But the source in its simplest form is a computer rather than a person or an organized entity. So for the sake of definitions, an algorithm is a set of instructions that typically mimic human reasoning, logic, and problem solving. So with something that is so technically driven and literally written in code, where does the bias, you know, where does that enter the actual algorithm? So artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms are built on datasets. And if a dataset doesn't show the whole picture, it's misrepresentative, and this gives room for algorithmic bias. And for certain use cases, it's really hard to get the perfect dataset since data is collected based on human-assigned priorities. And this reflects and reinforces stereotypes that currently exist within society and various institutions. And if an algorithm makes inaccurate associations between socioeconomic, gender, and racial factors, algorithmic bias is bound to be right there. And so common examples of algorithmic bias are present within facial recognition, risk assessment scores, which we'll take a deep dive into later in this episode, and sometimes in recommendations like search engine results and online advertising. So how bad is algorithmic bias? Well, unfortunately, it's pretty bad and it's nothing new. One of the first notable cases of algorithmic bias is way back in 1982 in St. George's Hospital Medical School, which they used an assessment software for their admissions. And so the software denied entry to men and women with foreign sounding names based on historical admission trends. And this continued for four years, denying admission to 60 people belonging to ethnic minorities. More recently, Recognition, Amazon's available facial recognition technology for AWS customers, has been criticized. In 2018, the ACLU conducted a study that consisted of cross-checking members of Congress with a mugshot database using Recognition. They checked the faces of all 535 members of Congress against 25,000 public mugshots and found 28 false matches. One out of five members of Congress are persons of color, but nearly two out of five falsely matched members were persons of color, showing a clear bias. Some of Amazon Recognition's customers include Washington County Sheriff's Office and Body Worn, 
They both use the software to identify criminal suspects and persons of interest. But earlier this year, Amazon placed a one-year ban on the police use of recognition, and hopefully they're taking this time to reevaluate the product and what type of customers can use this product and what purposes they're using this product for. Before I switch gears, I want to clarify that algorithmic bias should not be confused for customization and personalization results we see on several social media sites, search engines, and e-commerce sites. If you belong to a certain ethnicity and Amazon recommends you ethnic products, that means their algorithms are succeeding in their objectives. If you're left or right leaning on the political spectrum and Facebook shows you left or right leaning news articles, whether those articles are real or not, that's a whole other episode, but that means their algorithms are succeeding in their objectives. Remember, algorithmic bias occurs when a person or group of people are treated better or worse, either due to an algorithm's design, implementation, or operation. All right, so algorithmic bias can be classified into three different types. First, we have the pre-existing type, which includes explicit and conscious or implicit and unconscious social or institutional biases. So for example, let's say we have an algorithm aimed to detect a person at work and is trained on several different types of occupations, but the genders of those occupations are primarily going to be based on what we see in real life on a day-to-day basis. So if you have videos of men coding and women cooking, and that's primarily the type of example that's out there and the algorithm is trained on this type of data, the algorithm may not detect female coders and male chefs. For our second type of algorithmic bias, we have technical algorithmic bias, which is a result of computational and design-based limitations and constraints. Let's say an algorithm identifies suspects at a crime scene based on facial recognition technology. It may incorrectly label bystanders as suspects due to decontextualization. In this type of situation, from a technical standpoint, Facial recognition modeling is pretty limited in who it can label as what type of role in a crime scene because it doesn't know the whole story that a prosecutor or investigator would. And because the algorithm isn't all-knowing, it's going to produce some bias in its results and recommendations. And finally, there's the emergent type of algorithmic bias, which results from algorithms working within new or unexpected contexts. This causes feedback loops, making the algorithm more self-sufficient but possibly inaccurate if left unchecked. So another example of this is predictive policing algorithms. And some of these algorithms actually use police car sightings to indicate heavy crime areas. And the software will then recommend these areas to the police to patrol more often, but in doing so, there's gonna be more police car sightings in those areas. So as a result, heavy crime areas will continuously be labeled as heavy crime areas, and then it's possible that crime will potentially be underreported in other areas. And in fact, predictive policing is being used today. The commercial product is called Predpol, and it's used by few police departments across the nation, including the LAPD. Building a fair algorithm is definitely easier said than done since it takes a bigger and more conscious effort to source the right data and meet technical and product requirements while minimizing the unfair treatment of users. The challenges algorithmic bias presents is centered around the algorithmic complexity that makes it really hard to decrypt and extract the biases. On top of that, there's a current lack of transparency due to some of these algorithms' proprietary nature. Add the lack of accountability due to lack of regulation, 
and we have a system that not only permits algorithmic bias, but lets it thrive. Now's the time to take a deep dive into a critical example of algorithmic bias, risk assessment software. This software serves as a tool that when given an individual's criminal history and questionnaire answers, outputs a score that predicts recidivism. Recidivism is a metric that tells how likely an individual would commit a crime again. Risk assessment software is more relevant than I expected. Looking at the criminal prosecution timeline, it's used during pretrial assessments, sentencing, and probation hearings. The idea behind the software started as the selective incapacitation theory, which states that the justice system should seek to identify reoffenders and keep them in prison for a longer period of time. This is mainly based on the assumption that career criminals commit a good amount of serious crimes and that they have identifiable personal and criminal characteristics. And then there was this company, as there usually is, named the Rand Corporation. They released a report justifying selective incapacitation theory. However, this report was based only on robbery and burglary crimes. In this report, only 2,100 male inmates in three states were surveyed, and the data analysis found correlations between recidivism, heroin use, and juvenile convictions. The Rand Corporation acknowledged how the selective incapacitation theory comes with the problems of false positives and threatens the idea of innocent until proven guilty. Despite these warnings, this report still made moves and influenced modern recidivism prediction tools. Advocates of selective incapacitation theory argue that predictive tools can do a better job of identifying recidivism based on data rather than having a judge decide an arbitrary sentencing length. And with the rise of mass incarceration and prison overcrowding, these tools had the potential to combat these issues. According to ProPublica, the state of Virginia reduced prison population growth by 26% over a 10-year period since using risk assessment tools, and in 2014, they assigned half of nonviolent felons to prison alternatives. Remember how I mentioned risk assessment software uses questionnaire answers to determine recidivism? Well, some of the questions asked include gang membership, whether your parents are separated, and the age you were at the time amount of friends arrested, residential stability, neighborhood crime, school suspensions, financial stability, boredom, sadness, anger, and criminal thinking. With all these personal details, these questions are trying to extract, how does law enforcement ensure questions are answered honestly and accurately? Not gonna lie, I feel like I know how to best answer these questions to best convince the algorithm I'm a low-risk individual, simply based on societal stereotypes. At the core of a technology like this, there's a deep, fundamental flaw. Is it really fair to just decide one's consequences based on crimes that have yet to be made? What happened to the idea of being innocent until proven guilty? In 2016, ProPublica conducted an investigation on Compass, a proprietary and commercially available risk assessment tool. ProPublica found that Compass scores appear to favor white defendants over black defendants by under-predicting recidivism for white defendants and over-predicting recidivism for black defendants, and only 20% of those predicted to commit violent offenses actually did, so Compass seems to have pretty low accuracy as well. Now, we can go on and on and talk about the statistical differences reported and debate about the exact extent of algorithmic bias here. But why even set up an opportunity for algorithmic bias to be introduced? Sometimes the best way to prevent algorithmic bias from entering the AI party is to not hold the party in the first place. 
So in 2018, a study was published by Science Advances, which is a peer-reviewed journal that covers a wide area of engineering and interdisciplinary advancements. In this study, a data set of 1,000 defendants was used. These defendants were described using seven features, sex, age, crime charge, criminal degree, non-juvenile prior count, juvenile felony count, and juvenile misdemeanor count. Keep in mind, Compass uses 137 features. The researchers then got two groups of 400 participants to predict whether or not the defendant would recidivate within the next two years of their most recent crime. One group received race information and the other did not. The accuracy levels of these participants was within 2% of Compass's levels. The researchers also used a logistic regression model with the same information as human participants and marginally beat Compass's accuracy. This made the researchers confident that Compass isn't more complex than a linear predictor. And who knows, this might just be why North Point is keeping the algorithm a big secret. So what's the takeaway? Compass really isn't all that great compared to human judgment, or even compared to a simpler machine learning model. With any far-reaching or production-grade AI, it's important to have accuracy, transparency, and accountability. After all, is it really fair to be assessed by an algorithm that's proprietary in its nature? At the very least, it should be reviewed by an independent agency of credible experts. So maybe at this point you're like, okay, okay, I hear you talking about the problem, but what's the solution? And to that I say, there's a few ways we can solve this, with some approaches being easier than others. First, we have Explainable AI, which is an initiative backed by DARPA. The goal of Explainable AI is to build explainable models with high prediction accuracies. On top of that, humans should be able to understand, trust, and manage the next generation of AI. It's basically pushing for the opposite of black box AI. Another solution is investing in diversity and inclusion, not only at the data set level, but also from an overhead standpoint. Having a set of engineers coming from different backgrounds results in discussions and decisions with more perspective and thought. The more diverse the creators of technologies are, the more equitable and accommodating technologies will be for populations going forward. Finally comes a solution with the R word. That's right, regulation. Regulation is probably the hardest thing to put in place, especially in the US, but never say never. The EU has the General Data Protection Regulation, which calls for using statistical-based profiling and technical measures to prevent discriminatory effects, and it's been around since the mid-1990s. Now last year, the Algorithmic Accountability Act was introduced in Congress. The bill aims to direct the FTC to require entities that use, store, or share personal information to conduct automated decision system impact assessments and data protection impact assessments. Since April of last year, it's been assigned to the House Subcommittee on Consumer Protection and Commerce. The bill has 30 co-sponsors, and reading through the bill, it all seems to be common-sense protections and measures to ensure high-risk information systems and algorithms operate under a safe threshold. I'm continuously fascinated by the way technology teaches us more about ourselves, the way we think as individuals, and the way we operate as a society. It's cool how building these algorithms has taught us so much about ourselves, and it's quite telling of human nature. But with great technology comes great responsibility. If we're going to move forward in an AI-driven world and push for social progress, we need to address and support the technical front by having policies and practices in place that represent the values and beliefs we want to instill within society. 
These critical algorithms will either augment current social and institutional biases or dissolve them. And it's up to us as consumers, engineers, and leaders to really be more aware of the tech we're putting out there. Mr. Tony Stark said that it's not enough to be against something, you have to be for something better. So I'd like to end this episode by sharing some ways we can all get involved in eliminating algorithmic bias. The first and arguably easiest way to do this is by being vocal. Ask the hard questions during product, technical, and testing decisions. Put yourself in the shoes of an end user and ask, is it possible that I'm being treated better or worse than others? From a technical standpoint, you can add bias testing to your development cycle. There are many frameworks out there that help with this, such as FairML and Lime. And finally, I want to highlight the Algorithmic Justice League, which is a nonprofit organization founded by an MIT grad student. My apologies, I don't want to butcher her last name, Joy B. The Algorithmic Justice League is devoted towards equitable and accountable AI by raising awareness, conducting research, and advocating for ways to mitigate algorithmic bias. You can donate to this group, request an inclusive dataset and algorithmic audit, report AI harms and biases, or host a local workshop through them. Thanks for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you have any questions, feedback, topic ideas, or just want to say hi, feel free to tweet or message me at NikitaRajput underscore. I hope you are all staying safe and healthy during this time. Mask up and take care.